Hey everybody, this is Armando Torres, and you're listening to the show before the show. And I'm Paige Wesley. And with us we have... The desert! The harsh desert! The harsh, unforgiving desert indeed, Paige. We are on our second and final episode of our series on Burning Man. Yep, it's a real fun time uh, with a little bit of a bummer in the middle, but don't worry, we do give you a heads up when it's about to get a little dark. Mm -hmm, Uh, mm -hmm. But otherwise, I think it's a really fun episode and uh, it's got some of my favorite bits in here. So uh, I cannot wait for you to listen to it and I hope you have a good time. Real quick heads up, there will not be a normal uh, feed episode uh, this coming monday i guess next week i should have said i don't know why i said it all weird uh there will not be a normal episode being posted on our uh line what am i what's wrong with my brain right now feed thank you jesus christ i am tired i am so so tired Mm -hmm. there will not be a normal episode because Paige is going to tokyo arigato Mm -hmm. yes i will be going to tokyo to do comedy, mm-hmm. not just for fun, not uh-huh. just to stomp on things like Godzilla. <laughs> I am there for comedies. Yeah, so go ahead and check her out on social media. You get more information about where to find those shows. It's going to be a good time. If you go out, you definitely got to take a picture and post it on the gram, baby. That's what post it on the gram. That's what life's all about now. That's what Burning Man told me. It's all about posting on the gram, baby. It's the only way to stop Mothra from attacking. Oh. Is posting our photos on the gram. <laughs> that might be true. Uh, yeah. And hey, if you want to help support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash cult podcast and uh, keep an eye out for RTX tickets. I know I said they were going to be available soon. Uh, we don't know which day we're going to be there, but we do know that we're going to be there. And that'll we'll be, be fun. It's uh, July 7th through the 9th. And uh, I promise that we'll burn something if you go. We'll burn there something. There you go. I'll burn. I'll, I don't know what it'll be. But I'll fucking burn burn something. something. Even if it's just CDs of weird mega mixes. Yeah, or a joint. Anyway, so uh, RTX, July 7th through the 9th. Going to be a fun time. They're not going to like that I talked about weed during that. But you know what? Fuck you. Anyway. (laughs) Cock a doodle do. Remember that? Remember when we did that? (laughs) Yes. Cock a cock a cock. Yeah. They fucking hate it. Anyway, <laughs> this is a fun episode. I'll stop wasting your time. Let's get on into it. I love you so much. Welcome to the show. Wicker Man. Wicker Man. Wicker Man. How did it burn? Oh, God. <laughs> That's from the Nicolas Cage one. For the purposes of this podcast, we define a cult as organizations that rally behind an entity or leader who espouse beliefs outside the norm, organizations that require physical or monetary sacrifice as a condition of membership, organizations in which the doctrines followed by the leaders are different than that of the followers, organizations in which isolation is encouraged either by commune living or by a policy of disconnection from outside relationships, and organizations that actively recruit new members. All cults might have some or all of these traits, and as always, These These are are our opinions. opinions. 
Thank you for tuning in to Cult Podcast. I'm Paige Wesley. And I'm Armando Torres. And with us we have Fucking Dr. Boobs. No, Dr. Okay. Boobs. <laughs> Dr. Boobs. <laughs> Dr. Boobs, P-H-double-D, baby. <laughs> Pretty hard dick. P-H-D. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, Paige, I got to break the news to you. Um, no. I think Californians are stupid. I think oh, that we're no, dumb. Oh, no, I know that. I know that. <laughs> I think I've we're lived dumb here my hell. whole life. <laughs> so, Not all of us. I feel like California is unique in that we have some of the smartest people on Earth and some of the dumbest people on Earth. Oh, yeah. Let me be clear. Okay, so I, intelligence is a funny thing because I think that we're pretty relatively smart in California, decently so, at least, thanks to... Um, I don't know, weed being legal, probably? Don't fact check me on that. But I think that that just means we have a lot of tax revenue. I don't know that that <laughs> has anything to do with smart. Nah, smoking a blunt make you smart. That's why Snoop Dogg's a genius. So Snoop Dogg I, is a genius. <laughs> I, um, yeah, word shouts out Martha Stewart. Look, it's yes. I'm, it started as a bit, but now I'm convinced that I'm correct. Uh, I meant like geographically, or maybe you would call it like setting stupid. Mm-hmm. Um, where like everyone my entire life has told me that California, specifically Los Angeles, has perfect weather. Now in my head, I kept going, "It's hot! It's hot all the it's time! It's hot as hell! Yeah, it's hot as hell all the time!" And then I moved somewhere where it's a little less hot. And a lot more muggy. And I'm realizing that I had no idea what the concept of heat truly was. I have spent hundreds of dollars on t-shirts because my entire wardrobe does not work anymore. I wore like (laughs) layers and flannels. You remember how you could see me in a jacket at any point in the year? You claimed to be the most jacketed Mexican. However, mm-hmm. you had no jackets suitable for true winters because California <laughs> does not have. Well, I should say Southern California does not have true winters. No, we so. do not. No, we do not. I didn't get to. I didn't. I didn't buy a real jacket, as I would call it, until I went to Minneapolis and experienced negative eight in the yeah. dead of winter. <laughs> it got snowed in and was like, "Huh? So you're saying we can't go swimming?" Um, yep. Yeah, I I I got sick uh, over the weekend. Um, man, I think it was mostly just fatigue and stress related. Like, just oh my god, there's so much on my plate. I got to do this. I got to do that. You know how it goes. Deadlines, yeah. all that, whatever. Um, and I started feeling ill. But the other thing I started feeling was really fucking itchy all the time. And I realized it's because Texas has these little things called mosquitoes. Uh, oh no. And so I have being I am being constantly ripped to fucking shreds by mosquitoes yeah. and I noticed that's what it was cuz I was like scratching my leg and then it started bleeding and it's like a bump and I was like is that a pimple? How do I have a pimple on my calf? But it's not. They're fucking mosquito bites and that's the first strike of stupidity. Here's a second one. I noticed that I started getting bit by mosquitoes and then I noticed that I started feeling not great and in my brain I went I got malaria. I got it. I got the malaria in Austin, Texas. I got it. Oh, no. And I started Googling it. And the internet was like, no, that's not. I think you would know if you had malaria. And then I started Googling malaria symptoms and then in quotation marks what I was feeling as if to confirm my own biases. Right. Sure. And then I went, 
Oh, I see how a lot of the country doesn't believe in bullshit. You can really find any information you want if you Google the right way. <laughs> yeah, that's true. If you tailor your search results. Uh, I should have warned you about this. I knew about the mosquitoes because whenever we would go to visit Jake's family, I'm very, I get bit a lot, but I have also developed like an allergy to mosquito venom so like uh. i my mosquito bites will swell up to the size of golf balls and be uh. like super painful mm -mm. Uh, it's like a whole thing and like i've had to go to the doctor and get like cortisone injections and shit before it's like the fucking worst what do you no, um, don't don't do that you're just you can't put steroids in your bloodstream you're gonna make them uh, stronger I, I had to because i i contracted cellulitis it's like a whole thing it's like it's really bad for me to get bit a lot by mosquitoes let's put it that way look all i'm saying is that i don't think you should be filling your blood with steroids when you're getting bit by mosquitoes because sooner or later mosquitoes are going to be batting a thousand for the goddamn <laughs> giants page well, if we ever want to get Jurassic Park to happen, mm -hmm. we're going to need stronger mosquitoes. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. No, it's 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 no party. Let's just put it that way. Uh, no. So I should have warned you. Did you know that they make um, bug spray in wipes now so you can just carry them with you all the time? Interesting. I hate bugs and I hate this mm -hmm. place. And uh, the other day I saw these little tiny bugs. Uh, on my windowsill and I went oh okay well I gotta move and <laughs> wait what they look like they're little 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 tiny little bugs uh crawling around um they weren't long and I cannot stress enough how small they are they are like if I had not been paying very close attention I wouldn't have noticed them uh what they are seems to be these just kind of mites that frequent uh the window sills and as far as i'm understanding uh there really is no fix to them <laughs> you just kind of deal with it and vacuum them up and then put this stuff around your window sills and according to everyone who lives here the quote-unquote infestation that i got isn't a problem and shouldn't be worried about and i should actually consider myself lucky and the fact that i said i have bugs in my apartment and somebody said yeah consider yourself lucky made me go i fucking hate this place <laughs> a big reason why i will never move to texas i want to go buy a gun where it's because it's super easy to buy a gun and i'm just gonna shoot every bug i see and hope that they tell the other bugs like hey don't go in there man that guy's fucking nuts, dude. Look, speaking of infestations where people don't necessarily want them, uh, especially when they come around once a year, let's get back to talking about Burning Man. Yes. <laughs> uh, before we get started, I wanted to read a couple of these sources. Uh, we have several posts from Burning Man's own website. We have several posts from Trippingly, which is a website chronicling all things psychedelic. Nice. And it sounds very dumb, but they were very, very helpful because whoever runs this website has spent most of their life getting third-hand accounts or second-hand accounts from stuff happening uh, at the beginning of Burning Man. So it's really awesome to be able to hear from people, sometimes in their own words, sometimes their first-hand accounts of like, hey, I am this guy, this is what happened. Uh, mm -hmm. it, it's really interesting. You also have the book Culture Jamming, Activism and the Art of Cultural Resistance. You have uh, the book Enabling Creative Chaos by Catherine K. Chen. You have the book Tales from the San Francisco Cacophony Society by Carrie uh, Galbraith and John Law. You have the video Black Rock City by the YouTube channel Anton Somewhere. 
And then you have the video City of Dust by the Nevada Museum of Arts official YouTube channel. So last week we covered the hippies, beatniks, and artists who desperately tried to keep the weirdness of the counterculture 60s alive, starting with a dead poet society-ass class that they called Communiversity. Uh, these goofballs and weirdos help spread Dadaism and culture jamming to a whole new generation of lil stinkers. <laughs> But after Communiversity came to a close due to a pie-related accident. Right, uh, I remember. Secret societies like the Suicide Club kept the tradition of weird public events alive. But when we left off, we were covering the Cacophony Society and what they called their zone trips. So as we covered in the last episode, the Cacophony Society had little to no leadership, uh, they only had one goal, which was to keep the weirdness of the counterculture movement and Dadaism alive. And their operations, or their zone trips, were organized by individual members to serve that one goal. Which, when you boil it down, uh, I realize it sounds a lot like a terrorist cell group. And, yeah, a little bit. <laughs> yeah, like almost exactly. And uh, I promise they are not terrorists. They're kind of like the opposite of terrorists, which I am uh, coining the term joyists. They're mm -hmm. people who go around spreading joy when you don't want it. And if you want an example <laughs> of this, think of any time you've been in like a bar or a coffee shop and then a guy with a ponytail gets up on a microphone and goes, okay, we're going to be starting our open mic here in just a few minutes. <laughs> Oh, it hurts. It's too close to home. <laughs> that is a joyous spreading joy in public, whether you want it or not. Uh, although, to be fair, on several occasions, the Cacophony Society did cause mass panic. Um, like the time that they gathered 100 members, dressed them in post-apocalyptic gear, and hosted a meetup for, quote-unquote, nuclear holocaust survivors. <laughs> The Atomic Cafe, as it was called, was met by mixed reviews. Uh, some people not huge fans of that one, actually. But that's what's kind of cool about the Cacophony Society, is that zone trips could range between like meeting up with friends to talk about a new movie while having a few drinks, to full-blown performance art pieces held in very public spaces. It just all depended on how you wanted to express yourself. And because there was this free form, free spirit approach to planning these outings, it makes sense that some members were inspired by other members, like the Atomic Cafe, that thing we just talked about, inspired SantaCon, a still ongoing tradition where a bunch of people gather dressed like Santa and parade through the large streets of big cities, uh, usually super drunk, just like the regular Santa Claus. I mean, no yeah. one talks about that, but that's why his nose is he all has red. A serious problem. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You listen to Santa's plan and tell me that doesn't sound like the plan of a drunk man. <laughs> hey, I'm going to fly toys to the children. What are you going to fly? What are you like with a plane? No, deer. Deer. Yeah, I got a bunch of deer. Okay. Well, this sounds like a logistical nightmare. You're not going to surely you're going to this is going to take like months, right? To plan and organize this whole one night. One We've night. only got one night, one chance, one opportunity <laughs> to give choice toys to all the children that want them. All the oh, really, all the, that's really not like every religion. Well, <laughs> 
see, here's the thing. Okay, drunk uncle. Oh, all right. It's it's time to lay down now. I think. Exactly. When you break it down, Santa is clearly an alcoholic. Um, (laughs) And Burning Man is no different. Not uh, from Santa, but uh, no different from people drawing inspiration. Uh, A lot of people assume that the first Burning Man was inspired by The Wicker Man, a movie about a pagan cult that sacrifices people by putting them inside of a giant wicker man and then burning it to the ground. And Never while heard the, of it. Yeah. Well, apparently neither has the founders of Burning Man, according to the founders of Burning Man. Oh, damn. Okay. Yeah. Even though the movie was probably partially responsible for the idea, something we'll get into into a little bit, uh, it was mostly inspired by artist Mary Grauberger. Mary was a member of the Cacophony Society, as well as a sculptor, a stoneworker, and more importantly, a big proponent of the auto-destruct art movement, uh, which is exactly what it sounds like. (laughs) Starting shortly after World War I, artists began building pieces in a public setting that would then self-destruct upon completion. That's Uh, not at all what I thought it was going to be, okay? Yeah, it's the auto-destruct art movement. It automatically destroys itself upon completion. And the idea is that the art is for the then and the now, and it's for the people that are experiencing it, and then after the art is finished, it returns to its original state of nothingness. Although, you could argue that it's not nothingness. Instead, it's like a big fucking fire or a bomb or something. Well, or even like the Banksy painting that shreds itself, yeah, like totally. that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, when you said auto destruct, I pictured people getting old cars and making sculptures. <laughs> so like, I like we're destructing these cars and constructing art. Uh, but no, okay, <laughs> all right. This this makes a lot more sense with the theme. <laughs> no, yeah, that makes sense. Although I do like in your brain, I was like, she was a big proponent of this type of art, and then you pictured a fucking a demolition derby, basically. <laughs> Reverse Autobots, if you will. <laughs> Hell yeah, Gravedigger's gonna return him to his original state of nothingness. I feel so fulfilled. This was here for me and me only in this moment. From the cradle to the grave digger, created 2019. <laughs> if we consider the, the temporality of life and death. Yeah, that, that's yeah. what the little plaque next to it would say. Yeah, but you can't read it because the whole time it just sounds like. According to Mary Grauberger, quote, I liked everything to disappear quickly. It's more beautiful when people experience it and then it's gone. End quote. Uh, And the way that she shared this experience with uh, the Cacophony Society was by planning an annual summer solstice zone trip at Baker Beach. Uh, Baker Beach is known for its seclusion and its um, clothing optional dress code. Familiar. Very familiar with it. Yes. Uh, So it makes sense why Mary chose such a beautiful beach for her zone trips. Also, apropos of nothing, I told you this in a fucking Facebook message that I sent to you before the show, but I fell down a rabbit hole of the history of Baker Beach, Mm -hmm. uh, and I found out in the quickest way possible, I will give it to you, uh, Baker Beach was settled, aka colonized, uh, Mm -hmm. in the 1800s by a guy, uh, a 
fuck. I want to call him John Henry Baker, I think is his name. Although that's hard because I think everyone's name was John Henry something back in the day. Yeah, I was I was like, you've just described half the 49ers. And by that, I don't mean the 49er team. I mean, like <laughs> the 1849er minors that yeah. showed up. Yeah. yeah. Although and when we say minors, by the way, we mean minors, those children, those 49 children, children. The children they sent into the mines, uh, yeah. no, the, the adults who popularized Levi's jeans. Yeah, no, we'd be the children who gave their life in the mines just going, I hope a drunk alcoholic brings me a present, please. Oh, my God. Okay, so it it was founded slash taken uh, by that guy. And then when he died, it got transferred to his widow who could not pay the mortgage. So when it got foreclosed upon, it got bought by a rich cop from Boston. And I said rich cop. Uh, I don't. I don't really know how that works. Ex- the unless, mob. Yeah. That's how that works. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was going to say. Um, yeah, I don't think there's a clean way for that to work. And then after that, technically, it belonged to the Spanish military. Uh, and then after that, it belonged to the U.S. military. The faces you're making are accurate. It wasn't owned by Spain. It just was a technicality part of their... During the Spanish-American War? No, it was just part of their old army base. So technically it was theirs, and then it was our army base, and then it stopped being anyone's army base, and then it became part of the national parks. So if if there was ever a place for a bunch of weirdos to go uh, take off all their clothes, yeah, it would be a place (laughs) that was owned by a rich white guy, a cop, uh, the army, and then nobody. And then nobody. So, uh, together with what she called, and this is a direct quote, a bunch of nude freaks, (laughs) Mary, (laughs) dude, I fucking love Mary, by the way, (laughs) she's the best, she's my favorite person in this whole story. Hey, she's just calling him like she sees him hang. Mary, (laughs) slightly to the left, Uh, Mary would walk down to the beach, gather anything that washed ashore, and then use it to build sculptures right there in the sands of Baker Beach. And members would join in on the creation, they would stay until the sun went down, and eventually, as Mary put it, quote, it seemed natural to torch the sculptures. Uh, yeah, in case you're wondering, like, it looks like pages, it means that before Burning Man uh, started on Baker Beach, there was a woman-led organization that went to Baker Beach and built statues out of scrap wood and then burned them to the ground. Here's the thing, uh, you know, there's every, there's, there's a point in, in many episodes where you're like, wait a second, is this the cult for me? Uh, I think this is that point for me, given my love of the Wicker Man, which, by the way, like basically the, I can see why people think it's inspired by wicker man, wherein they build a wood sculpture and burn it. Um, but like, honestly just dancing around burning shit on the beach at night. That's like half of what I did in college. So like, yeah, this just sounds like a natural progression for most Californians. I think. So here's the thing. And this is why I like Mary so much. She wasn't building giant sculptures of men and then burning them to the ground. Uh, She was just building sculptures of anything. She would look at what she had available and go, oh, well, this could be this. This could be this. In fact, she was doing this before the movie The Wicker Man ever happened. Really? Well, The Wicker Man is also based on a 
book yeah sort of true but the book only came out like a year before the movie so probably before the book too yeah she was she had been doing this for a really long time kind of off and on in her words she kind of just did it whenever she felt like it and if it lined up with the summer solstice again Mary is Mary Grubberger is cool my favorite. As shit, honestly. Oh, oh, oh ju- just wait, just wait. Does she still have parties like this? Because I want to go. Absolutely. I think uh, if she's still alive, I think she does. I don't know if she is. She's kind of a private person, so I'm only going off of the information that is publicly available on her that anybody mm-hmm. could find. Um, after Mary stopped hosting these summer solstice gatherings, the torch was picked up by a uh, fellow society member, Larry Harvey, who I guess l- both literally and figuratively was picking up that uh, torch. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, like I've said, straight up, Mary Grauberger is the baddest bitch in this story. Um, most people would assume that an artist who focused on building something for the here and now would be a little upset that some dude just took her idea and then turned it into one of the biggest festivals in America. Yeah. But by her own account, Mary doesn't give a shit. (laughs) (laughs) She's like, I'm over that now. That was years ago. I do different shit now. Now I take cars apart and build sculptures out of the car part. Yeah, now I build giant T-Rexes out of motor trucks. (laughs) Hell yes. Truckosaurus. As much as as much as we are kind of joking, that is sort of the vibe. I mean, she's kind of like, yeah, that was my old shit. Uh, if you want to do my old shit, I guess go for it. Uh, I've evolved beyond it. She's still in good standing with Larry Harvey. She is mentioned on Burning Man's website, albeit uh, pretty minimally. And according to her, and here's another direct quote. The difference between me and Larry is that Larry needs to be famous and feel that he has moved society in some way. I don't need that at all. And I admire Larry because he got what he wanted, but women can have children. Fame is like a man's own child. End quote. <laughs> Dude, fucking mic drop, Mary. God damn, I love you so much, baby. Please. Oh. I do love when people are like, I don't need to be famous. I'm like, that means that you're just making art for art's sake. And hell yeah. And that <laughs> like, is, uh, yeah, again, yes. from the very beginning, when I started describing, that's her whole thing. She's like, I'm just making art for art's sake. I'm just doing this when I want to. And when it feels like something inspiring. And then like, she never tried to capitalize on this. In fact, like I said, eventually she was like, yeah, fuck this. I'm just going to go dark. I'm just going to get off the grid. See you guys later. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> anyway, yeah. that is the end of our coverage of Mary Grauberger, but she's my favorite person by far in this whole entire story. Honestly, I, I fucks heavy with all of mm-hmm. that. <laughs> so on June 22nd, 1986, Larry Harvey and his best friend Jerry James and also a few other members of the Cacophony Society met up on Baker Beach for the Summer Solstice Gathering 2.0. They partied, they danced, but mostly they built an eight-foot-tall wooden man made out of scrapped wood and set the whole thing on fire as soon as the sun went down. And obviously, the event was a big hit. Uh, Just as an aside, by the way, um, they also built a three-foot-tall wooden dog to burn down with the man. Uh... 
but I think the idea of burning man's best friend kind of bummed everybody out, and that tradition <laughs> did not carry on at all. <laughs> They saw that one episode of Futurama and they're like, we can't. <laughs> yeah. We can't do this anymore. I thought that was so funny that the first one they were like, oh yeah, we also built a little dog. And the next one they were like, it's yeah, it's just it's a man. Sad. It's, it's just too... a man. No. The next year in 1987, they held the event again, but this time they made the man 15 feet tall. And then after that in 88, they doubled their statue size to a whopping 30 feet tall tall and as you might expect this is where things started getting a little complicated for larry harvey and his big flaming effigy because it turns out that building and burning a man bigger than a house scared a lot of people who lived <laughs> near the beach was it the fire department is that who it scared i uh, imagine they wouldn't like it they did not they they weren't they weren't they weren't really they wouldn't let stoked. my roommate and i build like burn a couch when i was in my early 20s so i can't imagine they were super excited about this yeah uh in order to explain his vision hold on one second if you're wondering why we were burning a couch it's because her norwegian heavy metal boyfriend had cheated on her while overseas in norway and mm -hmm. it was his couch oh and you asked permission to do that well we would have been lighting it behind our apartment in culver city so like you know, if we hadn't, I'm pretty sure we would have gone to jail. <laughs> sure. Fair enough. I'm, uh, I know you're more of an ask forgiveness, not permission <laughs> kind of guy. Uh, but it was like very close to other buildings. We were trying to be responsible while also being petty. I think you did the right thing. My point is that I'm thinking back to all of the years I've lived in LA. And if I was driving down a couch that was on fire, I'd go, Oh, cool. And then just keep driving. Like of I course. would not. Same. I would not I look even twice. Stop. <laughs> no. I feel like I've seen that a bunch of times. <laughs> Call me when it explodes. <laughs> exactly. By 1990, concerned locals and the park police had become very fed up with Larry and his big boy bonfire. And for reference, the first summer solstice gathering, the 2.0 that he did uh, in 86, that was just like 12 to 15 friends hanging out on the beach being weird. By 1989, almost 800 people Jeez. were flocking to Baker Beach to watch this fucking house-sized monster burn to the ground. They, uh, local law enforcement and fire departments forbid him from getting a permit to light the man on fire, uh, which really hadn't been an issue before since he never got a permit in the first place. Of course not. Of course not. You, No one ever gets permits until it becomes a problem. Yeah. The reason, <laughs> the reason they needed to start trying to get a permit was because um, this is when Larry started to try to spread the influence of Burning Man, uh, or at, as they were calling it then, the Summer Solstice Gathering, uh, to more people. So in order to explain his vision, attract more people, and to stop all the comparisons to The Wicker Man, which was a movie that he claims to not have ever seen, even though the chances of that are pretty fucking slim. Pretty slim. I think they did it twice, man. And the second one has Nick Cage in it, my dude. All right? You didn't see The Wicker Man? Okay. Well, okay. So Wicker Man originally was on the video nasties list in the UK, which meant that 
It was available in the U.S., but not necessarily as widely available as you might think, but it does eventually become a cult classic. Uh, So it may have reached that prominence after he's doing this, but also the Nick Cage one comes out in the early 2000s. Eventually, someone was going to draw comparisons. What I would actually wonder is if, I mean, now granted, The Wicker Man is based on actual traditions, allegedly from wood carvings found in the UK. But there's mm-hmm. a part of me that's like, did that guy attend one of these maybe? But probably Ooh, not. Probably not. And here's, okay. I hear what you're saying about the movie thing. The only reason that I will say that that actually works in favor of he's lying about not seeing it is because all of these fucking zone trips are named after obscure fucking movies. <laughs> Like every single one, even the Suicide Club is like it's taken. It's taken from like a, a novel that they were all reading at the same time. Like the Cacophony Society is from something else. Later on, we'll cover something else that came from a movie. Like every single one of these from this era are named after cult classic movies of the same type that all of them were watching together. So I uh, really I really don't think that he's you You're pretty the truth. sure you saw the movie. I mean, yeah. Are are we talking like I mean, first of all, R.I.P. Kenneth Anger, but like are, are we talking <laughs> like a Lucifer Rising trip and then they're like, No, we've never heard of the Wicker Man? <laughs> Kind of, I, okay. Yeah. All right. That that I, seems like bullshit. <laughs> I get why he would. I get why he's like cagey about it because he's like, no, it's completely different. It's a different IP. It's not at all similar. But like, yeah, yeah, yeah. At a certain point, shut up. Just, just <laughs> shut up. It's fine. No one cares, man. Uh. So after they forbid him to get a permit, uh, they kind of set up a deal. He said he struck a deal with local officials. Uh, Larry and his Cacophony Society friends would be allowed to build the man on Baker Beach so long as they agreed to not burn it down. Okay. Let me guess. That definitely did not burn down. Wink. uh, See, that would have been fucking badass if they had done that. (laughs) As they're driving away, just shoot a flaming arrow as they leave. Like, we weren't there. Who knows how it burned down? Lean out the window fucking... (laughs) Yeah, that would have throw a I cigarette. Mm, I would have respected him so much. Part I, of our building process is dousing it in lighter fluid. <laughs> well, like you know, I want to refute you, but it is up to code. That is load bearing gasoline, so the, I will have to let it slide. The interior is all Duraflame logs. <laughs> Uh, they agreed not to burn it down, and that is exactly what they did. They didn't burn it down at all. They constructed the man like usual, but instead of setting him on fire, they disassembled him with chainsaws and then trans- <laughs> and then transported him to an empty parking lot not too far away. <laughs> Where they then burned it down? No, actually. Again, oh. they... They didn't they didn't burn this one. They kept their word oh. on that to the yeah, to the disappointment of me also. Fucking bootlickers. Yeah. Fucking idiots. So after just five events, Burning Man had come to an end. And one of those events, again, did not feature they burning. They didn't burn the man. Yeah. So I guess it was more like four Burning Mans and one man. Chainsaw man. Yeah. Oh, there we go. Chainsaws for hands, chainsaws for a face. That's, you know what? Having never seen any anime ever, I feel like that could be a good idea that we should do on our own. 
Yeah, yeah, no one's ever done that before. <laughs> I don't think so. Even though I'm best friends with a guy who runs an anime and manga podcast, I don't think I've ever heard anything like that before. Never. It's definitely not something my husband has watched in the living room while I crochet. <laughs> so yeah, four of four Burning Mans and one Chainsaw Man later, Burning Man seemed to be pretty much dead. But as we learned last week, you can't ever really kill weirdness. At the same time, over 350 miles away in the vast and empty Nevada desert, other Cacophony Society members were planning their own zone trip that they called A Bad Day at Black Rock, which is, again, another reference to an obscure movie, or yes. at least obscure now, <laughs> but would probably travel in the same circles. That's uh, I'll let yeah. it go. I'll let it go for now, <laughs> but... <laughs> The more every single time I read, like, oh, I've never even seen the movie. I, in my head, I was like, you fucking piece of shit. Okay. Yeah, it looks like they called this one Get Yourself a Hobby Horse. I feel like <laughs> they've seen the movie. So the idea behind A Bad Day at Black Rock was simple. Uh, kind of. It was simple if you understand all the lingo that we have learned over the last two episodes. They wanted to create, quote, a dataist temporary autonomous zone. So this would be a society away from society where people could gather, get weird, create all kinds of weird art, and then destroy it all and return back to nothingness. And obviously, this was the perfect new home for Burning Man. Not only did the two events stand for the same thing, but this new event had actually received a permit from the bureau of land management hell yeah thanks yeah. nevada maybe <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I don't know it seems no, early it, to thank them given that we're we still have like half an episode left oh yeah uh in fact this special permit had been faxed to the event organizers with a small note written at the bottom that read have fun jeff <laughs> Oh, uh, have fun burning the castle <laughs> yeah, Jeff. Have, have fun you crazy kids love <laughs> Jeff with a new home lined up Larry and his Baker Beach friends loaded up their disassembled man towed it to the Nevada desert and put the whole thing back together for the first version of what we now know as Burning Man the first ever Burning Man held in the Black Rock Desert was relatively small there was only like 250 people um, and all of them had a job to do from constructing the art pieces to handling pyrotechnics to simple stuff like cooking, managing water and makeshift medical tents. And believe it or not, this is still kind of the vibe that Burning Man has today, uh, sort of. Obviously, not everyone who attends is participating in setup and logistics, but from the very beginning, Burning Man has strived to have what they call a gift based economy. The idea being that you share what people need without expecting anything in return. And if everyone adheres to that same principle, then anything that you need will, in theory, be taken care of. Now, attendees then and currently are, of course, urged to bring their own supplies like food, water, housing material, etc. But even today... Money doesn't really buy you anything at Burning Man because everything is free, technically. Hmm. Yeah, bars are open to everyone over the legal drinking age. You just bring up your cup. No plastic cups allowed. You have a metal cup. You bring it up. They fill you up. You drink it. 
free. Uh, the food is handed out as long as you bring your own plate. Uh, people even set up mechanic shops or cobbler stores to help burners whose bikes or vehicles get damaged or their shoes get ruined by the harsh desert conditions, which I personally think is pretty fucking cool. Uh, because the Black Rock Desert is a fucking nightmare. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I was like, this is cool in theory. I don't think it's sustainable necessarily without some sort of regulation. But for a handful of days in what seems like a desert hellscape, sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was sort of the, the vibe. And again, desert hellscape is sort of the key words here to focus on. Right. Uh, Black Rock Desert has crazy dust storms. It is insanely hot and pretty much no wildlife or natural sources of water are there, which means that what Burning Man does is create this sort of what they call an anarchy based utopia where everyone looks out for their fellow burners, which compare that to Coachella, an equally dusty and sweaty shithole where I one time had to pay $10 for a normal-sized bottle of water. Oh, yeah. bullshit. Unfortunately, as you have so gracefully pointed out, an <laughs> anarchy-based utopia is not super sustainable the bigger that it gets. Right. A Bad Day at Black Rock featuring Burning Man, that first event, uh, it was made up of only 90 society members and their close personal friends. The next year, that first Burning Man, that's when they had about 250 people driving out there. By 1996, over 8,000 people Jeez. were attending what was now being formally called Burning Man. Wired Magazine did a cover story on the event. HBO and PBS both sent out crews to cover it. Burning Man was being compared to both Woodstock and Altamont. Uh, and that, what's those I, aren't great things to be yeah, compared to. Yeah, We've talked about yeah. both on this show. Altamont specifically when we covered the Hells Angels. Yeah. Yeah. Altamont, if you are unfamiliar, but uh, Paige just pointed out with our Hells Angels episodes, you know that um, a guy got stabbed to death there. Right. After he tried to kill one of the Rolling Stones. I believe it was Mick Jagger. Yeah. Uh, so, like, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 I'm not saying anyone was a good guy in that story, but that right. is what happened. And then, yep. uh, again, also ironically, unbeknownst to them at the time, in a few years, Woodstock 99 would happen, which <laughs> was worse. such, yeah, exactly, such a shit show that there are now multiple true crime documentaries about it. Oh my god, wild. Wild. In the early years, the event was meant to be a place where people came together to live in a makeshift society where there was no separation between art and life. There was no art space or living space. The whole thing was just one big performance piece. The only rule was to not interfere with anyone's immediate experience. And now you have tuxedo-wearing goofballs who just want to pull lighthearted pranks in the desert being mixed with people who heard about this wild event where you could just do whatever you wanted in the middle of fucking nowhere Nevada. And that included people who really only wanted to focus on the anarchy part of yeah. uh, an anarchy utopia. This meant drugs, guns, reckless behavior, even makeshift explosives all made their way out to the Black Rock Desert. 
Um, and now I'd like to perform a little song for you called, Hey, this is foreshadowing because things are about to get dark. I want yep. you to have a heads up because things are going to get dark. It's Ooh. a little gruesome. Things are kind of fucked up. Maybe don't take a bunch of drugs and guns out to the desert. Uh, maybe just a suggestion. Live maybe. Your life. Yeah. I think hey, that you one's know how go you p- could avoid that though. Hmm. If you, if you, if you just do meditation and like project yourself astrally into the desert <laughs> for our black magic desert meetup, <laughs> get into it. Yeah. I forgot about that one. That is a deep cut for the longtime cult podcast cuts. listeners. Deep cuts. I also have just now realized that I guess, <laughs> I guess, I guess if you're going to say the phrase, maybe it's not a good idea to bring guns and drugs out to the desert. Somebody should really tell most of West Texas to get their shit together. (laughs) See, the bugs are why I won't move back to Texas. What you just described is why my husband won't move back to Texas. (laughs) Uh, And Burning Man 1996, with its over 8,000 attendees, was a major turning point in the festival's history. Every year, Burning Man has a theme, and unbeknownst to them, they had picked out the perfect one, Hellco. It was meant to satirize corporate America and selling out and included such art pieces as fake businesses for uh, Kaka Bell and <laughs> Star Fox. No, they need help with puns. Guys, yeah. hire comedians to do punch up on your fake business names. See, you say that, but then I remember that one of the most successful bits with there was a fake business was just called Dumb Starbucks. Honestly, hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> like, no notes. No notes. You're right, though. When I read these, I was like, fucking, what are you writing for Grand Theft Auto? What are you doing, dude? These yeah, are bad. Caca these are Bell? Caca Bell. Like, Taco Why not Taco Bell. Balls? <laughs> I had two seconds to think about that. Yeah, well, they built an entire building before you got there, so... (laughs) They couldn't even call it fourth meal? (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) But behind the scenes, things were actually going to hell. Leading up to the event, a volunteer who worked as a neon glass bender, which, apropos of nothing... Dope as fuck. Yeah, let me try that again. Who worked as a neon glass bender who... Aside from everything we're about to mention, coolest fucking job title I've ever <laughs> That's amazing. heard. Amazing. I've seen people do that on TV. It's a lost art. Not that many people do it anymore, but it looks cool as shit. Oh, yeah. It sounds dope as hell. And scene. That ends the part yes. where we say anything good about uh, what happened. Oh, no. So this volunteer um, died after crashing his motorcycle. While drunk, he, on his bike, and a friend in a van were playing chicken. Uh, Oh, no. And after just missing his chance to swerve out of the way, he clipped the side of the van going approximately 70 miles per hour. Jeez. Oh, no. According to eyewitnesses, he was completely decapitated by the driver's side mirror. No charges were filed, although it did understandably, and this is almost a direct quote, harsh the vibe. Uh, (laughs) 
no, really? Yeah. <laughs> That's one of the best parts about those firsthand accounts I told you about. <laughs> sometimes you're like, oh, yeah, you're like an old hippie. And you can't just say, like, it really it really brought everyone down to a place of contemplation about, you know, life and death. No, instead you're like, yeah, I got his head chopped off and it kind of like harsh the vibe. Really you know? harsh in my buzz, dude. It was hard for me to find my mellow. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Determined oh, God. to not let this ruin Burning Man, which had become Larry Harvey's entire life at this point, the festival insisted that because the death had occurred before gates opened, it hadn't technically happened at Burning Man. Was this some Disneyland bullshit? Yeah. They're like, oh, Helco, we're against corporate America. Let's do things exactly the way the Disney Corporation does. Yep. Yep, 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 <laughs> yep. But it didn't matter because disaster struck again that Sunday night. Another drunk driver who was also later reported to be high out of his fucking mind on top of being loaded crashed his car into a tent with two people inside. Oh no. After trying to rescue the occupants of the tent, a third woman was sprayed with scalding hot radiator fluid and was seriously injured. The oh, drive no. The driver was arrested, and thankfully, everyone lived, although one was permanently injured. And right when the eyes of America were on Burning Man, the event had two major incidents and one death. The BLM revoked their permit, the media blasted them, and they even lost a critical founding member whose very real and very ironic name was Johnny Law. <laughs> <laughs> You've lost the, lost the respect of Johnny Law. <laughs> yeah. I think it's just so funny and no one no one seems to find the humor in this in these stories by the way. No one makes Oh, this... I think that's hilarious. Yeah, I think it's fucking great. <laughs> no one points it out as a, a a point of irony that the guy who got mad they were committing crimes was named fucking Johnny Law. And not only like here's the thing. It's funny that he's named Johnny Law, but also Johnny Law is like it's nickname for the police for every, if you're just yeah. like, oh, fucking Johnny Law. Like, the fact that that's his real name, that's insane. That's yeah, so crazy. And I'm not, like, I'm not even doing a bit. Like, his name is Jonathan Law. <laughs> but he went by Johnny. His name was Johnny of course, Law. If your name was Jonathan Law, you would absolutely go by Johnny Law and then do the most <laughs> illegal shit. It'd be hilarious. Absolutely. And it's not even the dumbest name in this series so far. <laughs> uh, oh, my God. So, in 1997, the very next year, Burning Man was forced to move onto private land because they couldn't get that permit. But between the added cost for rent, increasing insurance rates, and a huge blow to their reputation, the organizers found themselves about $30,000 in the hole. Eventually, they resorted to mailing attendees their expense breakdowns and begging them for more money. <laughs> Jeez. It became very clear that if Burning Man was going to continue, especially in a way that honored its original purpose, things really needed to change. And the two forces behind that change were the Black Rock City Rangers and the Department of Public Works. 
Larry Harvey and his remaining organizers, they wanted to bring Burning Man back to the Black Rock Desert for their 1998 event. Half because that's where it felt like it was home, and half because I don't think they were going to make a profit if things continued to be as shitty as they had been the year before. But according to the BLM, the goal that they had in mind came with a ton of added restrictions and requirements. First and foremost, the gang had to incorporate. And so they did uh, with the help of someone named Dana Bizbabe Harrison. Oh, no. <laughs> I don't. She went from selling essential oils to this, right? <laughs> no, by all accounts, she was just a successful businesswoman who she was started. a successful Bizbabe. Who started like helping. Yeah, I mean, it was their version of just calling her boss bitch. It kind of rocks. Yes, yeah. Yeah, fucking Bizbabe. That's awesome. With the help of Bizbabe Harrison, they formed Black Rock City LLC. And Bizbabe also implemented changes like a paid ticketing system so that they had a confirmed attendance list, uh, which is something that they had somehow never thought to That's do. Wild. I guess it's because they're like a bunch of hippies and like I was I was actually looking at a breakdown of like the cost of attending per year. And yeah. for most of those early years, it was free. And then the first time they charged anything, it was fifteen dollars. Paige, it costs like fifteen hundred just to get a ticket now. Yeah, of course. Because like because you have to manage how many people are there and make sure that people don't fucking die in the desert. Like Oh yeah. Of oh, course yeah. it costs money. Yeah. Like also worth mentioning that I think overall, I don't have the number in front of me, but I can confirm it. I'm pretty sure a it's a fair amount of people have died in the desert. I think it's twenty six people have died at Burning Man. That's actually way less than I thought it would be. Yeah, I I I think I remember reading that it was twenty six, although I'm fine. <laughs> Okay, this uh, this is not funny. Okay, this is this is not funny at all, Paige. Mhm, mm mhm, mm mhm. Apparently, ten years ago, there were five deaths, and four of them were very tragic, very tragic deaths. But one of them was apparently a trampoline accident. Oh no. And <laughs> I'm sorry. I shouldn't laugh. A person is dead. Tell me about the trampoline. <laughs> apparently, apparently, it was part of something called the teeter totter of death. And oh my god, <laughs> it fucking killed a guy. Oh my god. Wait, explain the teeter totter of death. Is this you jump from the trampoline onto some sort of giant teeter totter and then it launched a guy and he died? I'm. I'm just reading this now. It looks like it's just a weird obstacle course. Oh, and like I don't American know. Ninja Warrior, but yeah, in the desert? Or maybe like a teeter-totter that exists high up, and then if you fall, you're supposed to fall on a trampoline. But like, And he missed the trampoline? Apparently it injured a lot of people and killed one guy. So oh, <laughs> at the very least, you can say that every death at, at Burning Man is pretty fucking interesting, I guess. Yeah, yeah, sure. Like, <sighs> sorry. Moving on. <laughs> Law enforcement. Four were sad. One was awesome. <laughs> four, four were really bad. One of them made me go, wait a second. Wait, huh? what? No way. Was this sponsored by Monster Energy? <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, I'm so sorry because a person did die. And sure, that's, look, the thing is, is like, 
death is sad. Death is very upsetting. Death is terrible and awful. But if I die in a trampoline accident, you have full permission to make fun of me for the rest of eternity. I I absolutely will because I know you would love it from beyond. Absolutely. It's the only thing that makes me feel okay about dying is the fact that everyone is going to roast the shit out of me at my funeral. So law enforcement and the other uh, local departments, like the fire department, for one, uh, they needed a bigger presence at the event, which that was 100% agreed to. But an organizer who I think has the dumbest name of anybody involved in the story, an organizer named Michael Michael, uh, that is... (laughs) And his brother, Mario Mario. (laughs) (laughs) It's to be fair, the last name Michael is spelled M I K E L, and I was like, oh, it's probably pronounced different. And then I saw an Mikkel, interview with him, yeah. and he was like, hi, I'm Michael Michael. And I was like, okay, well, like, <laughs> I guess fucking not. Never mind. <laughs> Blame his parents on that one, unless he like changed his name to Michael. Yeah, unless for some stupid reason, unless Michael is his like middle name but then why choose that it doesn't make i don't it doesn't matter unless you're going to become some sort of dj or something because yes. like that's a great name for a weird artist and then you call it michael squared what are you doing yes, of course you call it michael squared <laughs> michael to the power of two yeah, uh, yeah so michael michael was tasked with founding the black rock city rangers the rangers based on the texas rangers would work as a civic service group ensuring that everyone stayed safe and where they were allowed to be. Basically, they wanted to make sure that uh, nobody like wandered off or was in one of the places where they could get hurt or playing chicken with a motorcycle in a van, that kind of thing. So they took a look at their anarchist utopia and were like, you know what this needs? Police. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so what I, if we brought in cops? <laughs> I prefer to see it in a different way, which is that they said, and they being the government said, we need more mm-hmm. cops there. And they said, sure, yes, but also, fuck the cops. I'm going to be the cops here. And we're just going to make sure everyone's having like a good time. Mm-hmm. Um, also, oh, I didn't even get into this. Once he took control of the Black Rock City Rangers, Michael Michael changed his name to Danger Ranger. And I, <laughs> I fucking love it. Prefer. A plus. Good job, Michael Squared. <laughs> but maybe more important than any of those other changes was the Black Rock City Department of Public Works. This was a mix of co-founders and surprisingly qualified volunteers who helped turn the no separation between art and living space setup that they used to have into something that mirrors an actual city with a kind of a fun twist, of course. Black Rock City, where Burning Man takes place, is built like a clock. It is built in a circle. Uh, with the streets moving outward from the center in 30-minute increments, uh, and then neighborhoods built in different sections of time. And there are actual sections of time. So the different yeah. sectors, which are, of, again, they're different neighborhoods. Uh, right. There's 2 o'clock, there's 3 o'clock, there's 4.30, there's 6 o'clock, there's 7.30, there's 9 o'clock, and 10 o'clock. 
And then the other sectors, as well as the center of the city, is where the large art pieces are built and burned. This is so that there is a separation between, you know, where all the bullshit is happening that is dangerous and where vehicles are driving around uh, from where, you know, people are living. And then you have that nice little, you know, safety net. And they have what what are called portals to the art spaces, basically like... You can't just walk into them on accident. You will know when you are entering the part where there are like art and danger and vehicles. And I say danger, like there, there's art. Eventually they set on fire. You're going to know if something's about to blow up. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I also think it's very funny, though, that it is set up like a town and on the corners of these makeshift streets, they do have like little signs so you can say like hey meet me in three o'clock on like 315 avenue and then they have like layers of streets that go like from the center outwards and i think the names of those might change but it seems like they're named after astrology signs so because i've seen i've seen a shot from above mm -hmm. where and it looks like literally like a clock with streets moving outward so okay interesting yeah, and those streets are, again, you could say, like, meet me on Cancer Boulevard, on the corner of, like, Cancer Boulevard and 230 Street. You know, like, that's... <laughs> that's where they sell all the cigarettes. <laughs> <laughs> that's where they'd be selling the Lucy's at. Over the years, as the festival uh, grew from 8,000 to 10,000 to over 50,000 attendees Jeez. in 2010, the Department of Public Works has been responsible for the growing number of responsibilities that Black Rock City has to take on each year. And while that might sound like a joke, they are, for all intents and purposes, a real city that exists for just one week a year. They have their own zip code. It is 89412. They have their own airport. They have a post office. There is even a special license plate that you need to get if you are going to be driving what they call a mutant vehicle, which is, you know, one of the drivable vehicles around the city. Uh, And for any vehicle, there is an official city speed limit of five miles per hour. And in recent years, the department has even installed solar panels and alternative energy sources to stop using the gas power generators that they used before because the city has become so massive. Jeez. That seems like so much work for one week. It it, it absolutely does. It absolutely does. Do they also- live there outside? I mean, I'm assuming there's weeks on either side for cleanup and planning. I get that. But like... Does some of these people just live there year round because they're nope. like, I'm in charge of this? No, just gone. No. So you kind of, when you attend, you are, this is my understanding. I might have this wrong, but as far as I can gleam from never having been there and reading about it online, it seems like when you are attending, you kind of purchase like a plot of land. Okay. And then within that, you can do whatever. So they'll tell you like, yeah, you're in three o'clock on the corner of Aquarius and 345 or whatever, you know, and then you go there and then you are designated your spot and boom, that's where you set up your shop. So everyone sets up their own little house in their own little neighborhood, but then the infrastructure, they come in like two weeks or probably way longer than that, honestly. Right? Now, Yeah. 
they they come in and lay the infrastructure and start building everything out and then afterwards they help to sort of okay uh, take it all down um although even though they have all of these really great and nice things and also you know what actually really quick as a side note i found out that the post office works inside of black rock city so like you can send letters to there to be received by people there or if you are in black rock city you can deliver a letter to the post office and they will get it to wherever the address is also in black rock city not important to the story but i do think it's really fun that uh, that is wild yeah to think about and for all the advancements that they have made water is still a huge issue like i said there is no nearby source for drinkable water so it becomes your most valuable resource in the hot sun-scorched desert in fact burners do not have the luxury of showering most attendees use wet wipes to clean themselves when necessary and i want to emphasize most attendees (sighs) thanks to the hundreds upon hundreds of hours of work put in by the department of public works Burning Man has been able to return and remain in the Black Rock Desert every single year, except for 2020 and 2021 because we were in the middle of a pandemic. Yeah, 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 but yeah. other, but other than that, but other than that, Burning Man has continued its tradition of creating a society that parodies society. Every single year, burners flock to the desert, construct an entire city from the ground up, and then burn it down pack it up and get back to their everyday lives so is it culty kind of i mean aside from the burning of an effigy and what amounts to basically setting up a big ass compound they do try to recruit volunteers and convince them to spend countless hours of their lives setting up this festival for really not that much money fortunately There's no one being held and forced to work against their will. And if you stop going as a volunteer, there doesn't seem to be any kind of ill will. Even Johnny Law is welcome to come, you know, like. You mean Danger Ranger? Oh, no, wait, that was Michael Michaels. (laughs) That was Michael Michael. Yes. Uh, Yeah. Danger Ranger ain't going to stop Johnny Law from getting into the Burning Man (laughs) Festival, which is quite possibly my favorite not joke sentence I've ever said in my entire life. Oh, my God. Although, um, although I will say they don't want you to know this. Every year, Burning Man does shove a private investigator and a bunch of animals inside of the man before they burn it down so that they can have good harvest in the next year. I'm joking, but Larry Harvey, how have you never seen Burning Man? How have you never seen the Wicker Man? How have you never seen the Wicker Man? My guy. How much chanting? (laughs) A lot. A lot of it. And that is where we will end our series on Burning Man. So um, a couple of things that I wanted to touch on that I didn't really know how to fit into uh, this sort of outline that I have. Uh, One, I mentioned the fact that like, you know, when stuff is going to be burned, that's because everything that happens in what is called the playa, the like center part and the outer uh, uh, desert where all of the, the art pieces exist 
everything in the playa gets burned down. All of the different art pieces get burned down throughout the week. Uh, basically, you get a schedule of when things are going to be showing and then when they're going to be destroyed. And then that destruction of that piece actually becomes part of the art itself. And the longer this has gone on, the more interesting the methods have become for destroying and blowing up these giant structures. It's actually really cool to watch. Like initially on Baker Beach, they would set it on fire and then that was it. They would just set it on fire. Now it's like a whole fireworks show and bombs go off and fire shoots out and it's fucking awesome and lit as hell. It's dope as shit. I think it's, I think I kind of want to go to Burning Man if I'm being real with you. Uh, Yes. I don't want to go because I don't like camping in the desert, but I'm very allured by the idea of burning giant things. And so I feel like I I am also, I would say, impressed by the building of the entire city. I find that fascinating. I think Mm -hmm. that's kind of a really interesting exercise. And there are other... There are other festivals like this too. Like there's one that's purely about anachronism where it's like you live in a time that's just not right now. Uh, and I think that's really interesting. I think for me, the place that I would struggle is purely the practical aspect of being in the desert, not having water, not having bathrooms, not having showers, like that kind oh, of a thing. Have, there are bathrooms. I should be clear. There are bathrooms. Yeah, uh, but like porta potties have- though. I guess you could get an RV if you wanted. That's Poop true. I RV. guess I could. Um, yeah, you're just not allowed to. You're not allowed to dump the waste there. You have to take all of your. Go- oh, that's the other thing. There's no garbage cans yeah. in the whole place. You are responsible for taking all of your own garbage, and they have these like mesh fences set up around the perimeter that sort of catch the garbage if it falls and you know tumbles yeah. out. There's also no plastic utensils allowed. There's no disposable anything allowed. So, like, you bring a plate. You bring a metal cup. Most people have a metal mug that they then just strap to their uh, belt and have throughout the week. I think if if I could RV it, I think I could do it in an RV. Um, Just because I would want to... I'd want to see the stuff. I'd want to see it burn. I'd be down. Although I'd be more down if it was still on a beach. That sounds great. Um... I I don't know that I want to do it for a whole week, though. I feel like I'm down for like two to three days. But also, did you find the one where one year they got infested with bugs? Uh, no, but I'm, I don't doubt that that yeah. happened. <laughs> the crazy shit happens here all the time. I also wanted to mention that like kind of the cool thing about the different neighborhoods is the longer that it goes on, the more that the neighborhoods sort of fit the vibe that everyone's looking for. Like... There are neighborhoods that are full-on Partyville all the time. Come here. This is where the bars are. Also, there's like over 1,000 quote-unquote bars. Like not not drinking, not people with alcohol sharing it to you, but I mean like formal, informal bars set right. Well, we used um, to, when I worked at Sur La Table one year, we a company that had a makeshift restaurant at Burning Man came and bought mm-hmm. all of their stuff for us like or from us for burning man so like i know it's like a full thing i'm sending you the picture of all the bugs um oh i'm not gonna open it (laughs) i'm not gonna no you're saying that i'm not opening this message page i'm not (sighs) anyway um yeah i 
I'm curious. I, this sounds terrible because like I've always wanted to go to the gathering of the juggalos. And I I feel like I what I really want is some like hybrid of the two. Does that make sense? Because like, I really I really think that you would like Burning Man. You think if, so? if it wasn't if it wasn't for the desert, I yes. think everyone would like it. But I think the desert. So that's sort of the thing. The desert brings the sense of community because we are all becoming a little primal trying to survive right. this like unlivable uh, uh, ecosystem. We we are bringing our life to it. Um, but the other thing is like. I was watching people's experiences on YouTube talking about like where they went and people were like, yeah, I mostly just hung out at the arts and crafts stuff. I mostly like knitted and like did shit. That's kind of what I want to do. Although the heat though, but yeah, that that'd be where I would hang. I think would just be all the arts and crafts shit. Yeah. I think it's dope as hell. Also the one nice thing about the desert that I don't know if everyone knows, but I feel like you and I know very, very well is that the desert is hot as shit. Yep. And then it gets to night and it is freezing. freezing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. So it's really funny because during the day people wear as little clothes as possible, including going full nude, which is allowed. See that I, I might, uh, I don't know, but it's the desert. I'm way more down for a nude beach than a nude desert. Personally. Yeah, that's the other thing is I want you to remember the fucking sandstorms yeah, that exactly. happen all the time. Yeah. Uh the last two things I want to say, I know we've we have gone so no, over, so I'm just gonna it. get this out of the way. Is uh one of the coolest things that they have are these like roaming Mad Max style nightclubs that during the night they drive around the playa, the like art space with all the different uh things that are set up and and uh, these things are fucking massive, man. There is one that is, again, they're giant moving driving nightclubs. Uh, and one of them is made out of a very real Boeing 747 what? airplane. Yes. But the main one is uh, the Mayan Warrior, which is a warship themed moving car that costs an approximate $3 million. Whoa. Yeah. That shit is insane. Um, it's super cool. I'd love to go. Uh, also, if you work for this company, I don't know, pay your workers better if you're able to. But yeah, that's it. That's Burning Man, folks. We did it. We covered it. I didn't think it was going to be two episodes when I started it. And uh, I certainly didn't think that I was going to spend as much time researching the history of a beach. But you know what? <laughs> you got to. You gotta dig through that shit to get to the ranger danger, danger rangers of the world. Yes. Oh, man. Okay. Well, maybe in the future we'll, like, you know, we'll renovate a van or something and get out there. That's right. You heard it here first, folks. Colt Podcast is performing live oh. <laughs> at Burning Man. Oh man, actually, okay, one last thing. There are there are no like scheduled or formally paid artists or uh performers that are like scheduled to come like normal festivals have. That's not really the vibe of Burning Man. Um, but for a really long time there's been a running joke that Daft Punk was gonna come perform. Okay. And now there's a bit of an inside joke where people go, Oh yeah, 
Daft Punk is actually performing a surprise DJ set over by the edge. Okay. And just past a giant row of the smelliest porta potties you could ever imagine, somebody sets up two dummies and an iPod. Oh, God. And they put Daft Punk helmets <laughs> on the dummies. And just play Daft Punk? That's yeah, amazing. That's it. It's, <laughs> it's a running joke, and I think it's very cute and very funny. Oh. Um,. Yeah. Hey, look, if you want to find me at Burning Man or otherwise, you can do so by following me on social media. That's uh, at Mondo Does Stuff. M-A-N-D-O Does Stuff. All one word. I'm on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. I'm on Twitch. I'm doing it all, baby. Um, got some big things coming up. Big news for y'all. So go ahead and follow me there if you want to keep, uh, keep, keep, keep up to date. And uh, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm so tired. <laughs> you might be able to hear it in my voice. I'm going to go. I'm going to go. I'm going to go make spaghetti and fall asleep. Hell and I yeah. hope you have a, a terrific day, week, night, whatever you're doing. I love you. Good night. Good luck. Goodbye. Forever. Mwah. Hey, everybody. Uh, it's your girl Paige. I'm here every week, except for next week, because I'll be in Tokyo. Uh, so that if there's not an episode that's why uh sorry uh so <laughs> i'll be in tokyo uh doing shows the second through the fourth uh check my instagram for more details about what shows are what days and how to get tickets uh you can also see me in los angeles june 10th at proud mary they're having a plus size fashion and comedy night and then you can see me in austin the 7th through the 9th at rtx uh everything else check my instagram there's a lot of shows and stuff coming up uh you can follow me at Rampage Wesley on Instagram and TikTok and at Paige Wesley on Twitter. I love you so much. Bye. And if you want to follow us on social media, you can at Colt Podcast on Instagram. Or at Colt Podcast Show on Twitter. You can also send us one of them newfangled emails uh, to the <laughs> Black Rock City post office and then they'll type it up and send it to us. Yes. Uh, or if you want to cut out the middleman, you can just send it to Colt Podcast Show at gmail.com. And if you want to make a cool package for us out of a 747 and send it Ooh. to our P.O. box, they don't have size restrictions. So 3756 West Avenue 40, Sweet K, number 237, like, like the, the Shining, Shining, Los Angeles, California, 90065. And I think I'm going to say drink water. It's the desert. Uh, and... Don't drink the Kool-Aid. Bye. Bye.